everyone. Well, welcome to Stutter Talk at, at episode 704 for February 14th, 2021. Today, we will discuss pressures people who stutter face to be fluent or not to stutter, and pressures we face to be unashamed or fearless with our stuttering. I am Pete Peter Reitzes here with fellow Stutter Talk host and today's guest, Dr. Christopher Constantino. Hey, Chris. Hi, Peter. Happy to be talking to you again. Same here. It's it's always a joy. Chris, yeah. and, and you really make me think, but please go ahead. I cut you off there. I was just going to say, every time you give your introduction and, and, and you're in your 700s, um, you must be very proud of that. Oh, thanks, man. You know, I really am. I, I'm really feeling good about stut- stutter talking all the great people like you who I meet. So it's really an honor. But thanks, man. Chris Constantino is a speech language pathologist and assistant professor at Florida State University. Chris co-edited the highly acclaimed book, Stammering Pride and Prejudice. I'm a speech lang- language pathologist and president of Stutter Talk. Chris and I are both people who stutter. So Chris, later in the show, we will discuss pressures that people who stutter face to be fluent and pressures we also face to be unashamed of our stuttering or fearless with our stuttering. But first, and and we sort of discussed this before, but it's happened again. A friend of mine who is a seasoned special education teacher shared the following sentiment on Facebook. Quote, moving forward, I want to share a friendly reminder that President Biden has a speech impediment. Making fun of his speech is ableist and says way more about you than him. Slow speech and replacing words when you feel a stutter coming are techniques taught in speech therapy to help manage a stutter, end quote. So, Chris, some people who are new listeners to Stutter Talk may not understand why replacing words is part of the stuttering problem and not the solution. So, I have a few questions for you. First, could you give us an example, Chris, of how a person who stutters might might replace or substitute a word? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think how I like to think of all any stuttering behavior that is observable is that what the listener is watching or hearing is the the speaker reacting to a feeling, right? And so the speaker might react to that feeling by getting stuck and stretching the sound. They might react to that feeling by by having a lot of pressure and tension and locking, but they also might anticipate that feeling and switch words to one that they think they might not stutter on. So if I'm ordering a sandwich and I want tomatoes and I think I'm going to stutter on the word tomatoes, right before I say that word, I might switch it to onions or something like that. Um, you, you, You also might switch the word while you're stuck, right? So if you're saying, I would like onions, right? It's clear I was going to say something with a T, but I, 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 have, I escaped from that moment of stuttering and, and switched to a word that I could say. Hmm. One of my 
So I, I, like a lot of people who stutter, I changed words for two decades and it didn't make me feel good about myself. And one of my toughest memories was when I was in college and I was sitting at a piano chair playing the piano with a music professor. And she was a, a lovely person. And she asked me, where are you from? And I panicked and I knew I couldn't say Delaware. I knew it. So I first said something like a place near Pennsylvania. And she started looking at me like I was a little weird. <laughs> and she's like, okay, but where are you from? And then I, I said something like, you know, the first state. And she's like very confused now, but where are you from? And I think I said something like guess. And I know I shouldn't beat myself up, but I it's just cringeworthy. And I still look at that moment. And it was a lot of moments like that that drove me into speech therapy and to self-help for people who stutter. So is my Facebook friend right, Chris? Should and do speech language pathologists teach people who stutter to avoid words, to substitute words, to replace words? I think your Facebook friend is about two-thirds right in that people who stutter do switch words and that I, I I think switching words should be okay, right? Like you shouldn't make fun of a person who stutters for switching words. I think that's indeed ableist. So I think she's right on that point. I think she's right on the point that many speech language pathologists are not, maybe I shouldn't say many, but I've certainly heard of speech language pathologists teaching stutterers to switch words. I have a couple of clients currently who are, trying to unlearn that, right? Because it's something they've been relying on and something their past speech pathologists have encouraged. I think where where I would disagree with your friend is whether that's something speech language pathologists should be doing, right? I, I think the, the literature on stuttering is pretty clear that the more we try to hide it, that the bigger impact it has on our life. And so I would never say that a person who stutters is handling their stutter wrong or incorrectly or or uh, that the way you handle your stutter is a moral issue. But I think if you're coming to speech therapy, likely you're trying to learn ways of coping that are as healthy as possible. And avoiding words, as you indicated earlier, often contributes more to the problem than it helps. And that I think most speech therapies that are worth their salt are going to be trying to decrease uh, avoidances and, and help the person say exactly what they want to say, even if that includes some stuttering. Yes, saying exactly what you want to say when you want to say it. And I love your response because it's so generous, graceful, kind. I, You brought up a great point about if a person who stutters chooses to change a word, then that's okay. And we shouldn't beat that person up. I mean, not physically, but you know, we, <laughs> so, but there is a difference, isn't there? It's one thing for you or me or someone else to be having a day or a moment um, or any time where we choose to change a word. It's something else, though, to go to a professional for help and to have that professional teach you 
more avoidance strategies or encourage you not to stutter. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. It it, it reminds me very much of a uh, of a uh, of clients who I've worked with in the past who are very reliant on word switching. And no matter how much we talk about it and talk about how um, the less you allow yourself to stutter, that when your stutters do happen, the tenser, the, the tenser they're going to be, the, the harder they're going to be to move past, the, that this strategy might save you sometimes, but it's probably contributing to more effortful speaking in the long run. They will understand all of that, right? And still cling to this strategy, right? And so I think in those situations, I can, I can be empathetic to the fact that it's, it's scary to give up this coping mechanism. And I can understand where they're coming from and I cannot judge them for it. Right. But at the same time, I think it's my job as a speech language pathologist to continue to nudge them in a direction that would produce not only easier speech, but put them more in charge of the decisions that they're making, make them more age and dick and, and, and able to decide things that, because they want to, not because they're what was easiest to say. And so I think as a, as a speech language pathologist who somebody's coming to see voluntarily, right, they're coming to see you for help with speaking easier. And so I think in that situation, it's, it's, it's our job to uh, point them in the right direction. But if I was, if, if the relationship was different, if I was just their friend or their family member, unless they specifically asked me for advice, you know, I think how somebody's uh, daughters is their business. Hmm. Yes, very well said. My very first speech therapy session in my early 20s, the speech let language pathologist who changed my life at one point, I mean, I must have been dancing around everything. And at one point, he said, I see you're doing a lot of things to not stutter. It's okay to stutter here. This place is safe. And I was overwhelmed with happiness with fear, because I hadn't allowed myself to stutter in so long. That uh, it was really like I realized, whoa, this is going to be so healthy and so hard. Mm. But but I loved that that the speech language pathologist I saw knew that I needed something different than my current course because my current course was m making my life a nightmare. Um, it, one other point, I think the poster with the best of intentions was assuming that Biden uses word substitutions. I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure if we should assume something like that. Yeah, that's that's really hard, right? And I know I'm guilty of, you know, being a fellow person who stutters, being a speech language pathologist. I'm guilty of reading into people's speech, especially Biden, just because he's he's particularly interesting as a stuttering president. 
And I know I've been guilty of hearing things in Biden's speech that sound like a word switch or, or a circumlocution of a sentence. But to be honest, of course, I can't really prove that, right? Biden's the only one who really knows if he's doing that. And so, yeah, I do think there's a danger in trying to interpret other people's speech. I think it's different if if Biden is your client and you're his therapist and you're sort of, you know, trying to interpret his speech. But if if we're just the general public listening to him, uh, we don't know him very well or <laughs> if at, at all. And are, then are we any different from uh, other people who might be judging Biden, right? Are we, are we also listening to how he says it rather than what he is saying? Excellent point. And of course, it's stutter talk. We do not endorse or promote political platforms or political candidates. I also want to recognize that we have a president in the White House for likely the very first time who not only stutters, but who talks openly about stuttering uh, and speaks directly and with the stuttering community. And I just want to take a moment and say, how cool is that? I mean, I think it's really cool. What What do you think, Chris? Can Can you celebrate that with me? Absolutely. It's it's exciting, and I've my clients seem excited. They think that there's just it makes it easier to talk about because you can point to this figure that if you're in America, everybody knows who he is. It used to be like you would point to a celebrity, an actor, an athlete, but there was always the you know so pop culture moves quick, right? And people aren't always relevant. You don't always have a shared understanding of who that person is. But everybody knows who the president is, and it's even relevant, I think internationally. Uh, I've been involved in some conversations with colleagues from around the world, and Biden comes up rather reg- regularly as as an important figure for stuttering. Uh, so I think just in terms of raising awareness, it's, it's super important. And just to stay on this for one more moment, there was a part of me that was concerned a little bit because Biden does not noticeably stutter, or at least does not noticeably stutter to my eyes and ears often. And that concerned me that that would be the role model for all people who stutter. So like I can hear someone saying, look, the president stutters. But what they're really saying is you speak more like the president because he's not stuttering. However, I also think it brings a refreshing amount of variety and complexity to stuttering because so often when the public thinks of stuttering, it's some, some, someone who stutters a lot with a lot of secondaries, a lot of blocking. And it's refreshing to have uh, variety and complexity with stuttering. Thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I think – Sadutters are often unhappy with our role models. I mean, by, by role models, I mean the the people who achieve a great deal of of public order, uh, fame 
because often they don't stutter very much. And I think one, as we all know, stuttering is quirky and weird and never behaves how we expect it or want it to. And so I think part of that is just in the nature of stuttering to be so variable, right? So one, that's just sort of how stuttering is. But two, I think we need to take seriously the the prejudices that exist in society. And if Biden stuttered more noticeably, it's not guaranteed he would have achieved the same place he is, right? And so maybe what Biden's doing is making room for future politicians to be able to stutter more openly, that maybe this is a process of making society comfortable with the idea of stuttered speech. This is Stutter Talk. I am Peter Reitzes here with Dr. Christopher Constantino. Chris, have we, as we have discussed on Stutter Talk before, back in August, 13-year-old Braden Harrington spoke for two minutes to a na- national television audience from the Democratic National Convention. This was when President Biden was the Democratic nominee for president. Braden stuttered openly. And he spoke openly about stuttering, and he had a lot of good stuttering, meaning he stuttered a lot. Braden, he he was brave. He was unapologetically stuttering. So let's listen to a short clip. Hi, my name is Braden Harrington, and I'm 13 years old. And without Joe Biden, I wouldn't be talking to you today. About a few months ago, I met him in New Hampshire. He told me that we were members of the same club. We, We... Stutter. It was really amazing to hear that someone like me became vice president. So recently on social media, I've seen friends in the stuttering community say that because of his recent fame, they're worried that Braden is likely under pressure to be fluent or under pressure to not stutter. And I, I can see that for sure. But I also think or worry that Braden may be under tremendous pressure to be unashamed or to be fearless with his stuttering. So what are your thoughts on this, Chris? I think that's perceptive of you. I think he's likely I think he's likely under pressure to handle his stuttering well. And that might mean different things to him. He wasn't particularly fluent during that speech, but I think in a more recent speech, he actually was fairly fluent. So like most stutters, his speech is going to fluctuate. I actually relate to him quite a bit, and maybe you do too, as somebody who's in the public, not public as in I'm famous, but I think within the 
stuttering world, I talk a lot about it stuttering. And I think many people who stutter, I've, I've interacted with many people who stutter. And I have felt that pressure to be okay with my stuttering and to hold certain views about stuttering. And so if, if as an adult, I have felt that, I imagine he's, he's probably feeling it greatly to, to, you know, it, it, it's that pressure of being a role model. Hmm. So you are more famous than you let on, Chris. You are all over the stuttering map, and it's a real joy. Like, I just saw you – did you just do an ASHA podcast for the American Speech-Language Hearing Association? Yeah, they they interviewed me. It's wonderful. I, I haven't heard it yet, but I'm really looking forward to hearing it. And why that's wonderful is they chose you to talk to fellow speech-language pathologists and to students and to the public about stuttering, and you're the exact – person who should be chosen for that. So really, hats off, and I'm proud of you, and I'm proud that it is you, because it should be you. Thank you, Peter. Uh, so I think you're right. He is under pressure, that, that's, that's Braden Harrington, is under pressure to handle his stuttering well. And I want to share with you something that I think about often. So, so many times, people people who stutter and their families, our families, find self-help because we've had tough times. So I've met a number of families who for years, they had their children in speech therapy and the family was chasing what we sometimes call the fluency God, that the speech therapist and everybody was trying to get the child to stop stuttering. And after years of this, it only made everybody miserable and feel like failures. And then we go to self-help and our stuttering is embraced but I've also seen sometimes in self-help a literal expectation that we, people who stutter, are 100% okay with stuttering. And I remember being part of a conversation between a mother and the son, and the son and I were trying to explain to the mom why 100% of being okay with stuttering is too much pressure to put on anybody because the the mom being exposed to wonderful self-help was under the impression we should always be okay with stuttering. And I don't think it's that easy. What, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? I, I've, I've had that same experience where I've watched these vibrant children within the spaces of, of the self-help community really, really shine and then step outside of it Maybe they, they're out at a restaurant or something and just really struggle to interact with other people. And I think as a person who uh, stutters, as, as, a, as a therapist who works with a lot of people who stutters, like that's, that's unsurprising, right? That your experience of stuttering would be different in different situations. But just like the general public, I think, often doesn't understand how the physical behaviors of stuttering are variable. Your, your, your ability to cope is also very, very variable, right? And so I think it's expecting, like you're saying, it's expecting too much for somebody to have a consistent and positive attitude towards your stuttering 
all the time. I think that's I think that's a wonderful goal to have, and I certainly think it's achievable. But just like we were talking earlier about how if somebody changes words, cut them some slack. If 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 somebody's feeling frustrated with their stuttering, uh, like that that needs to be okay also. So when you say it's achievable, do you think it's achievable for you, for others, for both? I th- I think what I mean by that is I f- it does not that everybody should or would be able to be comfortable with their stuttering all the time, but I'm sure. I'm not sure, but I imagine that it's it's not an impossible goal, right? It's it's not like that being comfortable stuttering in most situations might be within reason, right? I I mean personally, I I I think I feel fairly comfortable stuttering most of the time. I wouldn't say I've I've achieved that perfect stuttering in enlightenment right i i i definitely am would rather not stutter sometimes right i'd rather just be able to make that phone call and not have to explain to the other person why i'm talking funny right yeah yeah i'd i'd like to be able to talk to strangers without having to bring up my speech but i don't see why it would be a a um a unreachable sort of thing is your hesitancy with this that that it sets too high of an expectation for people well it's a too high of an expectation no i see i don't want to say that i i guess in my in my experience i have never held being 100% okay with stuttering as my goal because i think it's being too hard on myself mm-hmm. Having said that, I know a person who stutters, who says, and they've said for years that they are 100% okay with their stuttering. And I don't know if I envy it or it just is what it is. I just can't imagine it. I just, it, it, there's so much scar tissue around stuttering and so many memories. Mm. And even to this day, when I have a stutter and somebody is confused or laughs, it doesn't feel good. And maybe I can be 100% okay with stuttering and still have those experiences. It's just, I love my stuttering. It's part of me, but it doesn't mean it's always pleasant. Does that make sense? That, that, that makes perfect sense. And I, I, I actually resonated with something you had said. You said you didn't think it was, even really a goal of yours. And I, I feel the same way. And that I think once, at least, so I'm just speaking about personally in my ways that I've handled my own stuttering. Stuttering is not the only thing in my life, right? There's, there's, there's lots of things that I value and have to prioritize. And for me, after I've, reached a certain comfort level that trying to chase a higher there's there's diminishing returns on trying to chase a higher level of comfort you know maybe i could go out and put myself in very uncomfortable situations over and over and over again until they didn't bother me anymore um but i just i just don't care to do that at this point in my life 
and that I hadn't, when you voice that, I, you know, I, that's not a goal I've had for myself either, or one that I think I really have for my clients, right? Generally, I think we, we, we want a functional level of comfort so that they can carry on with their lives. Hmm. Yeah. I loved how you use that phrase diminishing returns. Isn't that something after all these years, I still get stuck on the letter D because I'm from Delaware. (laughs) At least that's (laughs) what I've always thought. Uh, So interesting. I I'm reminded of, of somebody I, I not my speech therapist. I want to be clear, but I remember um, observing a good speech therapist with some people who stutter and some of the people who stutter did not want to participate in voluntary stuttering. And in retrospect, it almost feels like the pressure we put on somebody to be fluent, the pressure that these people who stutter felt to stutter on purpose must have been immense for them. So looking back on it, I'm a little uncomfortable with how much pressure was placed on the person to stutter openly. Having said that, I also understood that it was done with the best of intentions. Right. I hope that, I hope that wasn't too cryptic. <laughs> no, no. I think those pressures are similar, right? That, that were that while they're almost opposite pressures, they're sort of walking the same line in that they're suggesting what you're doing is making your life more difficult. And if you do it this way, things will be better. And then when the person shows resistance, the suggestion is that it's your fault that you're not, that you're not playing along, right? That, that, that you're not following the suggestions. And so I, 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 I I think any time we're we've we've turned what we're doing into something that must be done, and we don't recognize that in resistance, right? In 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 those those people who didn't want to participate, that in resistance there's also agency, right? That that they're making a choice, and that we should respect that ch- choice. We almost become all authoritarian in our thinking. I love what you just said. In resistance, there is agency. And it's so powerful because even though I was kind of getting there, you just really, with that phrase, just pushed me to accept that not only were these people who stutter not ready for this level of open stuttering, but they were being powerful in their response. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's right. So before I get to another question, I wanted to share with you that I met on Zoom recently with my rabbi and it was great. And when we were talking, I was having some, I want to say light stutters, stutters that I was working through. And then I had a really good stutter where I really got stuck noticeably. And that was a real stutter, unnoticeably. And I stopped and I said, you see, Rabbi, I really do stutter. I'm so glad you saw it. 
So even though, so I was feeling a little shame about it. And then I realized I don't want to feel shame. I'm proud that, that my rabbi knows I've dealt with this and that I'm open to talk about it. So I really, that's a good feeling. I really liked how I managed that. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like you did exactly what we try to teach people in therapy. Right when you when you feel yourself moving away from the thing that you're afraid of, move t- towards it even stronger. Wow, I'm gonna have to write this stuff down. Move towards it even stronger. Yeah, I, I, it's like you read that and you hear that, but the way you just said it is, yeah, that's what we should be doing. Move towards the fear. Right. So, Chris, let's listen to the last 30 seconds of Braden Harrington's speech when Braden endorsed Joe Biden for president and asked others to vote for Biden. I'm just a regular kid. And in a short amount of time, Joe Biden made me more confident about something that's bothered me my whole life. Joe Biden cared. Imagine what he could do for all of us. Kids like me are counting on you to elect someone we can all look up to someone who cares someone who will make our country and the world feel better we're counting on you to elect joe biden so chris i think at the end there Braden said we are counting on you to elect joe biden and here's why i'm bringing this up and again stutter talk does not endorse political candidates We're talking about this because President Biden is a person who stutters, and this is all relevant to the stuttering community. About a month ago, Chris, I was thinking I would play the Braden Harrington video to my fifth grade students who stutter. And when I reviewed the video, I heard the endorsement at the end. I I was reminded of the endorsement, and I realized that I just can't share this powerful video with my students because it was political. It did have an endorsement. And then I started thinking about it more. And it's not sitting well with me that Braden endorsed Joe Biden because he is a minor. And I feel protective of students. I feel protective of my own children. And I'm just not sure it's like, I, I, I love that Braden was talking about stuttering, that the Democratic Party put him on a nationally televised platform to talk about stuttering. It's, it felt like the best of self-help, as, as I've said before. But do you understand my concerns about feeling protective of Braden? Absolutely. It's, I think whenever children are in there's a there, there's a really th- thin line into ex uh, you can cross into exploitation right like how how much does Braden really understand about the political process and and the endorsement that he's making I think what's interesting about the endorsement though is that Braden really described personal qualities of Biden that he didn't that he'd interacted with right and Biden and Braden did have this relationship this moment that occurred uh when they met each other and Braden's endorsement seemed to be primarily driven not off of politics and off of platforms but more on just him saying that he 
that Biden was a nice guy and and listened to him and helped him. Um, now, I think I would disagree with Braden that those are, I think those are wonderful qualities, but I don't know that those qualities alone make a president. Um, but Braden's endorsement is interesting in that it, it, it was rather apolitical, right? I think also though, how much of that endorsement was Braden's own words, right? And how many of, and how much of it were, were words put into his mouth by others? Right. Well, that is a great, great point because you don't want our children who stutter or any children to be taken advantage of. And we don't have any evidence that he was, but I'm sure, right, his speech was probably reviewed. Uh, I mean, what do you, do you, do you want to speak any more to that? No, I, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head right like what how how consensual is 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 the process when it's a 13 year old Mm. consensual what a great term and i also want to bring up and i don't remember all the details but at my very first stuttering self-help conference i was in my early 20s, I was of legal age and I was drinking a beer at a table with other people who stutter. And at the table, there were something like two conservative stutterers and two people who stutter who are on the who were on the very far pro- progressive left. And I loved how everybody, we were all tight stuttering brothers. And I think the people at the table with me were arguing about things like abortion and gun rights and the NRA. And it was all with stuttering love. I I didn't sense any anger. And I left that stuttering convention really believing that stuttering self-help was for everyone. And I I know Braden spoke at the Democratic National Convention. It wasn't a self-help convention, but I do wish he – I think he could have spoken at the Democratic National Convention said lovely things about Joe Biden and stopped short of an endorsement. And in my selfish way, thinking of the stuttering community, I wish now that he had. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Only that it would have made the soundbite much more useful for therapy purposes, right? You could have showed it to your students. They could have brought it home and showed it to their parents. It, it it could have been a great conversational piece. And I don't have any evidence for this, but I've seen the stuttering forums, unfortunately, are very political. And every time somebody brings up Joe Biden and his stutter, it seems that somebody on the conservative side gets upset because Joe Biden is a Democrat. And I do worry and wonder if children who stutter from conservative families, or some, not all, of course, are not being exposed to the Braden video because it was from the Democratic side of the aisle. And it just seems like it was a great opportunity that likely missed some good candidates to hear it just because of the political message. So I know I'm a bit naive. We don't live in an ideal world. I just wish it would have stopped short of an endorsement.
Dr. Chris Constantino, thank you so much for your time. And I just want to ask you one last question. You are doing speech therapy with people who stutter now remotely via Zoom. How's that going? And how does it make you think about this work? It's going surprisingly well. I think that there are certain difficulties over Zoom, especially with stuttering therapy. Like if you're if if you're helping somebody to catch and stay in their their moments of stuttering, there's sort of a time lag on Zoom that that makes it harder. Like if you were in person, you might be able to tap the desk quickly or, or, or show them a finger or just help them to, to really manage all those little moments of stuttering that happen. Um, and that's, that's certainly harder over Zoom. But something that Zoom has done is I've, a lot of my younger clients, being able to work over Zoom has allowed their, their parents to be in the therapy room, room with us every single session. And it has been wonderful in terms of um, the progress of therapy. The having the parents not not only witness what we're doing so that they can reinforce that outside of the therapy room, but also participate and watch their children do very brave things. I think it it changes how they see their children, right? Like they might have been, they may have started therapy feeling bad for their child because they're struggling so much. And fairly quickly, I think they're in awe of how brave and strong their child is. And so I think this pandemic has convinced me that if I'm working with somebody with a parent, a child, we should get their parent in that therapy room almost every single time or, or, or as, as frequently as a parent is able to be there. That's a powerful experience. And I can say I've had very similar experiences. And I'm so glad you shared that today on Stutter Talk and that you joined us. And I hope you keep joining us, Chris. So thanks so much, man. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter.